He's already been speaking to us through the songs, through the words, through the encouragement, and we're trusting him to speak to us through his word. Uh, before, before we get into unpacking the scripture, I really want to pray. I badly want to pray and ask for God's help as we uh, get ready to get into word, all right? Would you bow your heads with me? Almighty God, I thank you, Lord, uh, for this morning. Thank you for the uh, just amazing time of singing to you that we've had, Lord. God, it is our desire to build our life upon you because your love is unfailing, God. You are so good. You're so patient with us. Lord, thank you for all that you're doing in our midst, Lord God. We, we pray, God, that the good news of Jesus would, would saturate our city, Lord. Uh, there are so, so much, there's so much brokenness, there's so much darkness, God, and we know that we need you, Lord, uh, not just in our city, but even in our own hearts, God. And so, Lord, uh, as we come before you, Lord, I pray that you would speak to our hearts, God, open uh, up our hearts before you. Show us, Lord, the places that we have dug uh, different wounds, different scars deep down in, that you would resurrect those, Lord, not just to bring our sin or bring our hurt before us, but, Lord, that you might address our pain, God, that you might speak to it and bring healing to it, God, as we, as we open your word. And so, Father, we, we pray that in faith. God, we pray that you would do a mighty thing in our midst, even this morning. And I pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Well, family, I'm excited to open God's Word again with you. Uh, it's a great privilege to do this every week. It's, it's the kind of privilege that sometimes brings, uh, brings me to shake in my boots, but it's one that gives me great joy because of the opportunity to, to shepherd your hearts as well as God, as, as God shepherds mine. Uh, next week is our fifth year anniversary, and uh, I've done a lot of reflecting uh, this past week and even the weeks before, and I know the week ahead of us is filled with more of it. Uh, one of the things I reflected on is all the different messages and sermon series and themes that God has brought forward from this pulpit to us as a family. Uh, he has been speaking to us, showing us all different aspects of life, and I'm just, I'm overwhelmed with encouragement that God's got a word for every situation we're going through. He's got something to say no matter where you're at. And from one Sunday to the next, I hear of how God speaks to people specifically. And, man, it, it warms my heart. It encourages me. Um, I know that today all of us are going through different things in life, joys and sorrows, ups and downs. Um, but I'm also confident God wants to meet us in whatever place that is. I've been preaching through the names of God. And we've seen all different aspects of God, his person, and his works, and his dealings with us. And today, we look at the name Jehovah Rapha. God says, I am the Lord, your healer. I am the Lord, your healer. God reveals his names to show something about his power, but also to speak to our circumstances. And I know us as a church family, and I know that all of us, all of us have tasted of the bitter sting of brokenness, haven't we? We've tasted the bitterness of life in different forms. Some of us have tasted of broken bodies. Some of us have looked at ourselves and saying, what is going on with me physically? These severe pains, these diagnoses I've got. Life-changing news, threatening disease. Our bodies, we, we, we taste of the bitterness of its brokenness. 
We've tasted broken minds. Where mentally, we sometimes we find ourselves just with great angst and anxiety and depression and fear. And in our minds, we're just saying, what, what's going on here? God, I need you here. It's broken. We've tasted of broken hearts. Or emotionally, different things have happened to us in life. Unmet expectations, abandonment, sudden loss. I mean, we, we know of brokenness. And so one reason why I, I've been challenged this week is because I look at the name Jehovah Rapha and God's word saying, I am the Lord, your healer. And I stop and think, God, what does that mean for us? What does that mean for the church family here at the Brook with the brokenness that we have experienced the bitterness that exists on some of our lips. I know that's heavy word, but I thank God that we serve a, a God who is merciful and that he is our healer. I'm eager to talk about that with you guys. Are you eager to hear? Well, would you stand to your feet, please, just once more, and meet me in the book of Exodus, chapter 15, and the Bible's in front of you. If you don't own a Bible, uh, there, I'm sorry, there's one in front of you. We'd love for you to have that Bible if you don't own one. Um, we'd love for you to take it home, write your name in it. It belongs to you. Um, if you have your Bible, would you please meet me in the book of Exodus? That's the second book of the Bible. And in chapter 15, I'm going to read verses 22 through 27. This is the passage where God reveals himself to us as Jehovah Rapha. So again, this is where his word says in verse 22. Then Moses made Israel set out from the Red Sea, and they went into the wilderness of Shur. They went three days in the wilderness and found no water. Can you say no water? No water. When they came to Marah, they could not drink the water of Marah, because it was bitter. Therefore, it was named Mara, which is the Hebrew word bitter. Verse 24, and the people grumbled against Moses, saying, what shall we drink? And then Moses cried to the Lord, and the Lord showed him a log, and he threw it into the water, and the water became sweet. There the Lord made for them a statute and a rule, and there he tested them, saying, If you will diligently listen to the voice of the Lord your God, and do that which is right in his eyes, and give ear to his commandments, and keep all his statutes, I will put none of the diseases on you that I put on the Egyptians, and read this last part with me, for... I am the Lord, your healer. Let's read that again. For I am the Lord, your healer. Then they came to Elim, where there were 12 springs of water and 70 palm trees, and they encamped there by the water. This is God's word. You may be seated. Got to give you some backdrop to really appreciate what's happening in this passage. We've talked a lot over the years about how God's people found themselves as slaves in the land of Egypt. There for some 500 years, God raises up Moses, the one who tells Pharaoh, let my people go. And Pharaoh says, no. 
And then God brings 10 plagues over the people of Egypt. And at the end of the 10th plague, Pharaoh says, get out of here. Get these slaves out of here. Send them off. Moses takes the people of Israel about a million deep. I don't know if that's ever set in. It tells us there's 600,000 men in Israel, not counting women and children. Probably over a million people walk out of slavery into the wilderness. And then it tells us this in Exodus 13. It says, And the Lord went before them by day in a pillar of cloud to lead them along the way, and by night in a pillar of fire to give them light, that they might travel by day and by night. The pillar of cloud by day and the pillar of fire by night did not depart from before the people. Uh, A lot of times we, we forget this detail. As God leads his people out of Egypt into a foreign wilderness, he continues to lead them. And by daytime there was a cloud, and they knew if they followed that cloud, they were following God's leading. Well, then at nighttime they couldn't see the cloud, so God gives them a pillar of fire to follow. I mean, there's our perpetual miracles that they're experiencing as God leads them into the wilderness. Wild. Well, as they're leading out to the wilderness, they get stuck. They are there in front of this great big sea called the Red Sea. And before you knew it, they looked back and at a long distance, they saw Pharaoh and his armies. He had a change of heart. He regretted letting them go. And now, uh, perhaps the most powerful nation in the world, but undoubtedly the most powerful nation in the region, is chasing down a slave people who are armed probably with an axe and maybe a few knives and pitchforks. And they panic. And in front of them is a sea. Water is a barrier for them. They don't know what they're going to do. And you know the story. God tells Moses, take your staff, put it in the sea, and watch what I do. Moses does it. The Red Sea parts. God causes a wind to separate the waters and the ground to become dry. And there the million people walk through the Red Sea. And so Pharaoh sees this, and he's like, well, let me just follow them and chase them through these waters. But when Pharaoh and his army enters the waters, the sea closes up, and Pharaoh and his army is defeated. It's a a remarkable miracle. And then what we see in chapter 15, check this out in verse 19. They talk about how Pharaoh and his horses and his chariots and horsemen went into the sea. Look at verse 20. Then Miriam, that's Moses' sister, The prophetess, the sister of Aaron, took a tambourine in her hand, and all the women went out after her with tambourines and dancing. They had a party in the wilderness. They they were singing it. They were clapping it like we're about to do on October 12th. They were having a celebration because of God's great deliverance. I mean, they just saw the miracle of miracles. And they're on the other side of the sea looking back and saying, oh, snap, we're free. Got the tambourine thing going, dancing it out. God led them out of Egypt through the sea. Now he would lead them into the wilderness. And that's where our passage comes. Because it tells us that 
God led them into the wilderness of Shur, and then in verse 22, they went three days in the wilderness and found no water. Now that's a problem when you're about a million people deep and you got no water. Their animal skins were now empty. Their canteens were gone. Their children had drunk the water. The animals had drunk the water. The adults had taken it. And now they come to three days into the wilderness, and they are thirsty. They got nothing there. It says they came to a place where there was water. And so no doubt as they're approaching it, they're like, oh, finally. They get to this place, and they drink of the water, and it's disgusting. It is bitter to their stomach. Now, I don't know what that all entails, but the last thing you need is a million people with a stomach issue. You know what I mean. And so here they are in the wilderness, thirsty, and they're there with water, but they can't drink it. It is bitter. And in their bitter water there, they became bittered at heart. And they took their complaint, not with God, but to Moses. It says in verse 24, the people grumbled against Moses. Let me remind you what they did three days earlier with the tambourines and dancing. Family, isn't it ironic how short-sighted we could become? They went from dancing to disappointment in three days, from celebration to aggravation. They went from tambourines to grumbling in three days. Isn't it wild when it comes to offenses and being let down we're like elephants we remember every detail but when it comes to God's provision we're like Dory from Finding Nemo we just forget it and we forget what happened and we're mad and they take their offense to Moses and Moses is like what am I supposed to do just give you water they, 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 they're coming to the guy that got them in the situation and Moses is like I don't know what to do. I love it. They crumbled against Moses, and then Moses cried out to God. God like, Moses like, what am I supposed to do? Dig a well for a million people? I mean, so he, he's there struggling. He's like, I don't know what's going on. I just walked through the same sea you walked through. And there Moses is. But Moses does something that they failed to do. Where they get man word with their complaint, he gets God word with his concern. Where they went horizontal, he went vertical. When they posted on Facebook, he prayed to God. So you, see, you see, Moses did what we're supposed to do when we're faced with bitter trials of life. They didn't do it. And God tells Moses in verse 25, he says, look at this log. Moses takes the log, throws it into the water, and what was bitter became Kool-Aid. It is sweet now. God just executed the first water purification plant through a tree, a log. I was reading various commentaries and books, and tell me why. I just don't, I don't understand why some people are just too smart for their own good. Because they're exploring all kinds of trees in the wilderness that have properties inherent to the tree to make something bittersweet. And I'm like, are you really trying to do this? You're missing the miracle of the story. I read one book said the miracle was that God showed him the tree. I'm like, no, the miracle was that God used the tree. Amen. I mean, an entire river for a million people, how many trees did he throw in? <laughs> this, this is God at work. Now, but notice, why then use a tree, God? Just turn it. 
Because sometimes we need to see what God is doing into the know, in order to know that's him who did it. And that, that's, that's sometimes we, we just, we need to see it. Certainly we need to walk by faith. They didn't have any faith. They hadn't even learned about God much. They hadn't learned of his character. They didn't learn to trust him yet. And so God wants you and I to learn to trust him when we're faced with bitterness. And in order to do this for his people, he brings them to bitter waters. The reasons the waters became bitter for them is because they sought from man, Moses, what only God was meant to provide. Family, a lot of our circumstances in life create bitterness in us because we're expecting people to fulfill what only God could fulfill. We expect people to satisfy what only God can satisfy. People can't bring us lasting joy. Only God can. People alone cannot make life sweet by itself. God has to make that happen. And yes, he uses people. Yes, relationships are essential, but they cannot be the source of your joy. They can't be the source of your identity. If our identity is based on the praises of man, what happens when those praises are gone? And so they were seeking from a man what only God could provide, and they became bitter. And then Moses shows them what to do by going to God. You know what I find also fascinating is let's not forget the pillar of cloud that took them to the water. They were following God, and he seemed to know the way out of Egypt up to this point. But for some reason, at the bitterness, it was like God didn't know what he was doing anymore. They failed to see. And what God's about to do here is make two important points to his people. The first point is that grumbling will get you nowhere. But the second point is this. God's about to reveal something about himself that they don't yet know. He's about to show them something about his character and ability that they need to understand and learn, but they could not learn unless they're faced with bitterness. Family, the same thing God does in our own lives. He wants to show himself to us, but sometimes has to use bitterness for us to learn it. We see there in verse 25, the second half, that the whole point of the bitter waters, when God could have made them sweet by the time they arrived, was this. There the Lord made for them, verse 25, a statute and a rule, and there he tested them. It was a test. And this is what God wants them to understand in verse 26. If you will diligently listen to the voice of the Lord your God, and do which is right, that which is right in his eyes, and give ear to his commandments, and keep all his statutes, I will put none of the diseases upon you that I put on the Egyptians, for I am the Lord, your healer. God is teaching them this thing, that he is their healer, but that when they fail to trust him, they're invite, inviting adversity into their life. Now, I'm going to walk a fine line here, and I need to do it, though. And we're going to get to this aspect of this in a moment. Life comes with hardship, even when you're faithful. All right, you hear me? 
Faithful men and women who love the Lord will face illness and suffering and adversity. All right, hear me there. But I want to come over here and state what God is telling Moses, though, is that sometimes the afflictions we experience are a result of our putting God out of our lives. And, and, the, and the reason this is a fine line is because the, the, the people who are loving the Lord, I, I don't want you looking and saying, God, am I in sin? Am I in sin? No, you're in the world of, of brokenness. It's not because you, of sin necessarily. But there are times, though, that our life brings adversity. We have opened the door to affliction because we've shut the door to Jesus. And what God is saying here is that the Egyptians had many diseases and plagues placed on them because when God revealed his power in their lives, they refused to submit to him. And so one plague after the next, after the next, while, they, while Pharaoh hardened his heart, and God gave warning after warning, and they never obliged. And here God says to his people, listen to me, follow me, submit to me, and I will place none of the diseases that I put on the, on the Egyptians upon you, for I am your healer. And God reveals his power to us, and we put the envelope back in the mail saying, return to sender. We're inviting hardship. This is why James says in James 5.16, therefore confess your sins to one another and pray for one another that you may be healed. Some of our affliction is the result of sin, of pushing God out, closing the door on Jesus, opening the door to all kinds of other things. And this is why Moses gives this warning. But I love how even in the warning, God reminds of his character. He's a healer. You see, when we find ourselves in this place of rebellion, as James 5.16 says, confess your sins and then experience God's healing, whether it be emotional, physical sometimes, and even spiritual whenever we repent in in faith. God, God meets us there and he tells us to come to him. He is a God who heals. Now I want to talk about the adversities though that we face in life and what it means for God to be Jehovah Rapha in those moments. Psalm 103 says, bless the Lord, O my soul, and all that is within me. Bless his holy name. Bless the Lord, O my soul, and forget not all his benefits. And then the psalmist says, who forgives all your iniquities, who heals all your diseases. And I stop there and say, God, what does that mean? What does that mean that you heal all our diseases? When Jesus himself says, in this world you will face tribulations of many kinds. There's a tension I want to walk here. There is an ultimate healing that awaits all God's people. And yes, Psalm 103 is true. But there are times in this life when God chooses to manifest his power through physical healing. He does that sometimes. 
He chooses to do that according to his own will. This is why James also says, is anyone among you suffering? Let him pray. Is anyone cheerful? Let him sing praise. Is anyone among you sick? Let him call for the elders of the church and let them pray over him, anointing him with oil in the name of the Lord. And the prayer of faith will save the one who is sick, and the Lord will raise him up. And if he has committed sins, he will be forgiven. Therefore, confess your sins to one another and pray for one another that you may be healed. The prayer of a righteous person has great power as it works. Family, what I want us to understand is that God is still Jehovah Rapha and will always be Jehovah Rapha. And so whether today your brokenness that you're experiencing is of the mind, to the body, or of the heart, according to James and according to our God, let's pray to him. God, meet me in my brokenness. And God, I pray for healing. Family, let's be radical in praying that God would meet us with healing where there is illness and brokenness of all sorts. Of all sorts. I believe, though, one of the reasons why we oftentimes don't want to pray for healing is because we know that God doesn't always heal. And what I want us to do then is to learn how to pray for God to do the miraculous of healing physically while knowing with sure confidence that that may not be his will, but that he will, in faith in Jesus, provide healing ultimately in Christ. And that both are the ways that God wants us to walk. I read a book earlier this year called Miracles by Eric Metaxas. And he gives account of one after the other of how God has chosen to heal different people of various illnesses and brokennesses of heart, mind, or body. An encouraging read, no doubt. I've heard of stories and I've known of people where God has met them, whether through physicians or through just momentary healing, but God has done it. God can do it. God does do it, and we should pray for it. So family, I want us to be able to trust God as Jehovah Rapha. But there are times where God doesn't answer that prayer. And I want us to understand how to walk through that fine line of crying for healing, but embracing God's will if he doesn't bring it. This is where I think we as the church need to understand how to live. I know last year for us, those of you who are with us this time last year, you know that uh, last fall was the hardest season of my family's life. It was, it was a dark season. My wife became sick. And one of the hardest experiences during last October, November, and December were the Sundays being here without her. The days where she was stuck at home bedridden or the days she was in the hospital getting treatment. I thought about, as I prepared for this weeks ago, I, I wanted to share with you, church family, what this journey's been like for us as we've tried to navigate the truths and the beauties and our full confidence and trust in our God who is our healer. So I'm going to read for you portions of my journal that I wrote in last year. I hope you feel the angst, 
But I really hope that God shows you the way of crying out to him through all circumstances. I'm going to do my best to keep it together. I, I, I lost it every time running through it <laughs> coming here. Um, but for us, it began, at least for me, October 19th last year. Um, Erica had begun to feel certain symptoms that we both thought was like, ah, they weren't, there wasn't a big deal. We thought it was something that was just going to, it was a, an oddity, something, maybe a cramp in her body, muscular things, it would go away. So unknown of what God was doing at the time, I wrote in my journal, October 19, it says, your promises bleed through the pages of your word. And as you are God who never changes, I hear your words to me, you've never been this way before. Referring to Joshua 3 when he leads them into a foreign place. But instead, that I am, but I am the everlasting God. And I wrote, I have the promises of the gospel, your certain protection over my soul eternally and over my life until your will is accomplished in me and your presence holding my hand through all the new and foreign seasons of life. And then I wrote, increase my faith. Not knowing that the season ahead of us was a foreign land indeed. A week later, I wrote in my journal, my father, my heart is heavy. Since last Thursday, symptoms that Erica's had, and I outlined them, different tinglings in her feet, burnings in her arms, cramping. I said, uh, it happened last night. God, I'm scared. We've been to the doctor and are now awaiting the results from tests like blood work, EKGs, the 48-hour heart monitor and nerve exam that she had. It could be as simple as a viral infection, but we are concerned it could be as severe as multiple sclerosis. Satan wants to pluck our faith in you, our faith, and you want to fortify it. Do your work in us. Help me lead my home in the pathway of faith. Mind you, family, day by day, praying for God's healing. In tears over over my wife. November 8th. Father in heaven, it's nearly been a week since Erica's last episode or attack. Praise you for healing her body. She still feels a bit off at times, so I pray for your complete healing in these areas too. I've continued reading Joshua as I preached through Job. (laughs) Your sovereignty amidst suffering and evil are difficult to understand, especially when evil people do things to the righteous. I pray the words of Job continue to minister to your people as they walk through the valley of the shadow of death. And as I told you, family, not knowing that the words were there also to minister to me. November 8th, we were confident God had healed Erica. But then November 14th, I wrote this. Yesterday was my precious wife's birthday Oh, what a gift she is. Thank you for Erica. But Lord, we're discouraged. What appeared to be recovering health six to ten days ago has seemingly relapsed. And she had five attacks while at our Portland weekend to remember this weekend. Let us not grow anxious. The thought that this was a virus feels unlikely with this new surge of episodes. And still we want to be hopeful. 
November 28th. My God, I'm having a hard time. Erica was diagnosed with MS yesterday. I'm sad and scared. So scared. Truly, with feeble fingers, we cling to the ledge of your grace. That was a quote from our Job series. God, I wish your will was different. Even knowing that you are good and wise. So yes, this is beyond my understanding. December 4th. We had a great weekend. It felt normal, and normal hasn't been around since early October. But Erica had two attacks last night and is still in bed and it's 9 a.m. I'm burdened for her because I know she's discouraged. We had all hoped today would have looked different. We see a specialist at Northwestern at 3.30 p.m. I pray for a fruitful appointment and ask for clarity, wisdom, and direction. I pray that they can leave us hopeful. We know all good things are from you and that even adversity such as this is a tool in your hand to increase our faith and our dependency upon you. I prayed on October 19th, increase my faith. God, you've been faithful to do just that. That was our journey last fall in the last year. What I want you to hear, family, is that we've cried out to God, and we still do, and we're still believing him for healing on my wife. We thank God for great reports from the neurologist a couple months ago of no new increases. And we're praying for it. We're believing for it. But I want you to understand, family, that whether or not the lesions on her spine are removed, or whether or not she ever has another attack, Our God is still our healer. He is still Jehovah Rapha family. And whether or not he meets you in the hospital bed with physical healing, he is still your healer. So let's pray in faith for that. But let our feeble fingers cling to the ledge of his grace no matter what. Family, I love how Jesus puts a turn on this. When the paralytic man whose friends take him onto the rooftop, they carve a hole out in the roof to lower him down so that he could meet Jesus. Jesus looks at the man and says, your sins are forgiven. And they look at Jesus, the religious leaders are like, who is this man who thinks he can forgive sins? And what does Jesus do? He says to them, he says, which is easier, to say to the paralytic, your sins are forgiven, or to say, rise, take up your bed, and walk? 
And Jesus says, but that you may know that the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins. He said to the paralytic, I say to you, rise, pick up your bed, and go home. And he rose and immediately picked up his bed and went out before them all. You see, family, when God meets us with physical and miraculous healing, it is never an end in itself. It is always a means to an end. And the means to an end is this, that whatever God meets us in our lives, the ultimate goal is faith in Jesus for the forgiveness of sins. It is for increased joy in God. It is for the praise and glory of his name. And God can and will be glorified in suffering And there are times that God can and will make us and will be glorified in our physical healing. But in all things, through faith in him, he can and will be glorified. So he is Jehovah Rapha. And undoubtedly, the greatest plague on all of humanity is sin, leading to death, which is why Peter says, That Jesus himself bore our sins in his body on the tree so that we might die to sin and live to righteousness. By his wounds, you are healed. (laughs) Healed of sin. Healed of the death that sin brings eternally. He is Jehovah Rapha, our great healer. And so when God brought them to the bitter waters of Marah, he did it to teach them something. Is that when life is bitter to the taste, do not grumble, but go to God. You cry out to him to heal the situations of your life, but ultimately you cry out to him for redemption and restoration through Jesus. Our God is faithful to give that request of healing from sin every time. Every time. He is so good to us. God led them out of Egypt and led them through the sea and led them into the wilderness for a purpose. And the wilderness that you experience in life is for a purpose. To trust Jehovah Rapha. To trust in the Lord as your healer ultimately, of your sin. He heals from the poison of bitterness. He heals from various ailments, but ultimately he heals from the plague of sin. As we walk this life, family, through suffering, through joy, through adversity, and through hope, we keep our eyes set on our final redemption. Romans 8 says that creation groans, longing for its redemption. And in Revelation 21, we see it. And John says, I see a new heaven and a new earth. For the first heaven and the first earth has passed away, and the sea was no more. And in verse 4, that God, Jesus, will wipe away every tear from their eyes, and death shall be no more. Neither shall there be mourning, nor crying, nor pain anymore. For the former things have passed away. 
Family, I pray that God would cause faith to rise in this place today. Courageous faith that cries out for him to intervene in the very real, tangible circumstances of your life. Through the brokenness of body, through the brokenness of mind, through the brokenness of heart, whether you're ill, whether you're just just needy and, and, and hurting within your heart, that you would cry out to God and meet him there and see that he is your healer. But that ultimately you would set your mind on what Jesus had accomplished at the cross, healing us from sin, and ultimately now with the hope of eternity, where all disease will be put away. See, the Christian life is not just a life set on tomorrow, but it's a joy to be experienced today. And God will continue to lead us, no matter how much bitterness comes into our lives. Let's trust him, fam. Let's trust him. Let's give him glory. Let's cry out for him to intervene. But let's believe that in all things, his good will will be done. And he will have his way for the glory of his name and for the good of his people. Let's pray. God, I thank you for being our healer. God, I thank you that you invite us into prayer and intercession for the needs of others. God, I pray for my brothers and sisters here today who are experiencing various physical bodily ailments. God, I pray for your healing, Lord. I pray for your healing over disease. I pray, God, I plead for your healing over various diagnoses, Lord. God, I pray for that brother or sister who's battling depression, for your healing over their mind, who's battling anxiety. God, do the miraculous over their minds, God. When all that I feel is like a dark shadow, God, may the light of the gospel break through. God, I pray for your healing on those whose hearts have been brokenness by, broken by abandonment, by loss, by past experiences, by their own choices. God, would you heal their wounded hearts? God, I pray for those who are experiencing adversity and affliction because they have shut the door on you, Lord. God, I pray that they would humble themselves, that they would cry out to you, say, God, I'm sorry for turning my back on you. God, would you, would you bring the healing of forgiveness over their lives, God? God, I pray that our hope would not be, though, in this life, but in Jesus alone. To understand that the end, the goal of all things is to glorify God and to enjoy him forever. So, Lord, do that. Through healing or through adversity. We embrace your will, but we ask that you would do it. Just do it, Lord. God, I pray that you would also give us confidence and the ability to pray. When we feel like our hurts and wounds have 
separate us so far from you, Lord. Close that gap in today, Lord, for that brother or sister who hasn't cried out to you, God, in days or weeks or months. May they know, Lord, that you invite them, that you want them to cry, that you are going to meet them in prayer. So let not our trials keep us from you, Lord. We love you. And we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, let's stand up, family, as we uh, sing our final song. Prayer team, would you make yourself available? I know God is stirring in our hearts, and some of you have various kinds of hurts and heartaches. And uh, man, let someone just cry out to God for you. James says, confess your sins to one another. Would you come to one of these prayer counselors? Maybe, uh, maybe you, you know that it's your rebellion that's inviting adversity. Cry out to a brother or sister here and say, would you pray for me? Maybe you're experiencing affliction and you're having a hard time trusting God as your healer. Would you, would you, would you meet up with a brother or sister? Let them pray for you. Pray that, that your heart could trust in God for the forgiveness of sins and for the restoration. But family, let's just let's make ourselves available. Prayer team, as you're here and others, let's know that our God is eager to hear the cries of his people. Let's sing together. Stop. 